Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hello. listening to BFN. This is the podcast about infertility, IVF and the trials of trying for a baby. I'm Gabby. And I'm Emma. And we're both card-carrying members of the Infertility Club. Lovely. It's been right hot here, hasn't it? Yeah, man, right it's hot. been hot. Oh yeah. God. Um so yeah, it's been it's been alright, it's been nice. It's it's been nice. It um it's Glastonbury weekend, isn't it? Oh. Except no one's going to Glastonbury. So there's been an outpouring no. of grief across the uh across the socials, <laughs> which I've been enjoying. Yeah. Do you know do you know what's made me realise? Somebody tweeted about this the other day. Like BBC is obsessed with Glastonbury. Yes, they are. The BBC is more obsessed with Glastonbury than I was when I was eighteen, and I was obsessed with Glastonbury. But I think it's a big ticket. It's a big ticket event for those guys, you know. Um, yeah. So I can kind of understand why they've sent. Did you yeah. see they've sent like the crew down to the site anyway? So they're doing like all sorts of uh, non-actual <laughs> festival recordings. Yeah. <laughs> What are they doing? Looking at cows? Like, why would you do that? Just having soaking up the energy of the place. I'd like to say at this point that I absolutely love the BBC and everything it stands for, but I do think this is this is a bit much. Oh, I think it's great. I'm enjoying it. Um, and, but it's also uh, it's Pride Weekend as well, or would have been. It would have been Pride Weekend um, in London. Yes. So there, it's just lots of images of people on, on the internet with glitter on their faces, which I'm just, just oh, good. It's nice that and is, fun. That's an absolute delight. You're right. It yeah. is an absolute delight. Um, shall we shall we segue straight into the episode then? Well, I suppose there is a link there, yeah. isn't there? Well, historically, we've been very bad at timing episodes with things that they're relevant to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't we? We've hit the nail on the head with this one, however. <laughs> oh, my God. And I'd like to say we planned it, but we didn't at all. No, he didn't. No. He didn't. It was just a stroke of luck. Um, yeah. So we have an LGBTQ plus episode for you today. We do. We are speaking to Beth Leonard, an American. Mm, American. And they talked about what it's like to go through fertility treatment when you are queer and your partner is trans. Indeed. Uh, I guess the way they look at it is that hilarity ensues. I think they... Well, basically, there's lots of frustrating situations that they find themselves in, but they, yeah, yeah, took it with a pinch of salt and a bit of humour. And there is a Star Wars lunchbox involved, which um, I quite enjoyed. (laughs) Yeah, good um, baby naming possibilities there. Right. And then obviously we've got Liz and Nick in the house. Liz and Nick in the house. And they have, I don't want to spoil anything, but they have added to cart. Oh my God, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. Um, yeah, we've been getting some good uh, good updates on our little WhatsApp group, haven't we? Yes, we have. That yeah. We literally cannot give anything away. No, shit's getting real, but we can't yeah, give anything away. getting <laughs> real. Um, and also, at the end of, the, of Liz and Nick's bit, they posed two questions. 
one about Biker Grove, um, which probably UK listeners will know about, but others won't. Yeah. Um, and one about um, egg donation, how it works. And if you guys want to answer those questions, um, at the end of the segment, we'll give you our contact details, but you can contact them through us, is what I'm trying to say. Yes. And um, um, oh man, the bloody boiler turned off and now it's turned back on again. What is going on? It's really it's warm. Why is the boiler? Today. What's the boiler doing? I don't know, but I'm nervous. Come on, it's yeah. roasty. It's actually not we that hot today, boiling. is it? It kind of the weather broke, but the it's still warm. Broke, yeah. Anyway, um, and then we're speaking to Professor Tim as well. We are about um, yoga. About yoga. Now you're a yoga, rah, aren't you? Um, that is a real stretch. Pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> I, yep. I have in the past done some yoga, but I am definitely not proficient in any way, or graceful, or bendy. So, and okay. I haven't done it for a long time. So I'm not a yogaizer. Okay. Um. Yeah, and that is that's basically what the show is going to look like this week. Excellent. Sound like. Sound like. It really, is. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, we hope you enjoy. Oh, wait a second, actually. I do have an announcement. Okay, guys, we have 9,738 followers on Instagram. We are so close to 10,000 followers. I can smell it. So I just want to add like an additional request into this week. Like, if you're not following us on Instagram and you are on Instagram and you fancy maybe following us on Instagram, do it now. Do it. Tell your friends, tell your family. Pay people um, if you must. I know I have been. <laughs> I've been slipping everyone fivers. <laughs> <laughs> That's why we're poor. <laughs> I know. It would just be quite nice, man. 10,000 is like a nice milestone, isn't it? Um, and it's we're just a lovely milestone. so fucking close. I'm like... <sighs> It'll give us a sense of meaningless achievement. It will. It really will. Um, yeah. And so if you don't know, we are at Big Fat Negative on Instagram, guys. We are. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter. At Big Fat Negative. You can also f- see our Facebook page. At Big Fat Negative. What do you do on Facebook? You like like it? Like do a page? Do you oh, visit a page? This is how, I mean, we're clearly very invested in facebook yeah facebook um, isn't our medium um but no. you could take a trip there and visit the faces on the book yeah. yeah no problem absolutely please do. there's a lot of people's mums posting these days <laughs> um and you can also email us pigfatnegativepodcast at gmail.com please enjoy the show enjoy Well, something happened, didn't it? It did. Something happened yesterday. Before we go into um, what we did this week, I think there's been some other exciting news this week. It's the week that clinics can open. Oh, yeah. Hooray. (laughs) I knew that. Hooray. (laughs) This is not new information to me. I knew it. Oh, you did know it. I'm just double checking. It's been like big news in the fertility world, you know. I kind of forgotten, but yay! <laughs> so, um, yes, it's the Tuesday, Tuesday the 12th, so fertility clinics were able to apply to open yesterday. I think some places have actually already opened. What about the ones near us? No, not mm. yet. Not yet. It's a shame. It is a shame. Couldn't you banging on their door yesterday, were you? Yeah. Just pressed up against the window. <laughs> Let me in. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, we did an exciting thing yesterday, didn't we? Yeah. What do we do? Bought a few eggs. Bought some eggs, people. <laughs> <laughs> we dropped the bomb. We bought the eggs. Um, Free range. <laughs> I really hope they are, you know. Do you think they're organic? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so do you want to tell the lovely people how we came to the decision of whose eggs we wanted to buy? Well, I think it should be you that says it because it was more your input that drove who we um, 
who we went with in the end. Yeah, I mean, I obviously was chatting um, last week about the fact that there were definitely people um, on the list that I was far more drawn to than the one that, or the ones that looked like me. Um, And I was a bit sort of unsure whether or not there were any rules around picking a donor. Um, You know, do they have to look like you? Like... Is it allowed to just go with somebody else? Um, so I chatted to a few people and I spoke to the um, matching lady um, at the clinic and she was like really good at reassuring me and basically saying, look, just go with your gut. Like it doesn't, you know, some people do pick their donor based on looks. Some people don't. It's really a very individual decision. Um, and there was... There was a particular lady that really, really stood out for me. Um, And I can't remember if we spoke about this last week, but they can, like, leave a letter, can't they? They can. For any sort of potential future children. Um, And I just really felt that what she'd written was very thoughtful. And she had some personal experience with... Um, non-genetic family which I thought was really important Um, and she was really quite open to you know being meeting any potential future children and was kind of very clear that she would always keep her details updated Um, and I don't know why that was really important to me but I just feel like we're kind of going along this unorthodox route to parenthood and you almost like want that child to be accepted yeah also in the whole looks thing i i can't imagine that you really look at your child and go yay it looks like me yay (laughs) every day yeah this is amazing it looks like me i think it's more like they look like them yeah, I get that. And I suppose if I didn't have like this whole we're not going to use my eggs thing, I probably wouldn't even think about it. No. But I think because... Because you've had to make, we've had to make a choice somewhere along the lines. Yeah, and you, I suppose your choice, is, like your criteria has got to be based on something. Mm. Um, and it's like almost having that reassurance that it's okay for it to be based on something that's really personal to you. Mm. Not just the fact that they might look like me. I think it's more exciting to have the mannerisms when they start mirroring your mannerisms that will be more exciting. Yeah, and I think, like, I almost wanted that, because, you know, we kind of spoke with our families about it and things, and almost wanted that reassurance that everybody in our inner circle was cool with our choice. Like, even though it's our choice and they really don't have a say on the decision that we make... Um, because it's so personal, you almost just want that bit of validation from somebody to say, yeah, we support you. Um, yes. And we, we did, you know, we got that from everybody around us, which was which was really lovely. Yeah. I think, it, yeah, if it all works out, hopefully in a few years you won't even think about this anymore. In that respect. No. You won't, it won't, it'll be just, you won't consider how they came into the world. They're just in the world. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, it's really weird, like, almost that, you know, we've made this choice, like, we've bought the eggs, and, like, clinics have reopened, so it kind of feels like it could happen, like, soon. And it's really weird to be kind of back in that hope zone. Yeah, I'm I'm extra nervous about my own guys now. Yeah. Because we took such a gamble on this, I would hate for it to be uh, it fall down because mine aren't up to snub. I don't think that's the case though, because like we've done the donor eggs based on medical advice. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I think, like the decision that we've made, not to go for a double donor, is a logical one based on factual information that we have yep so I hope they're right well we've got no reason to think that they're not though have we 
So, and I think if, if it doesn't go our way and it doesn't work, then I don't think we could have done any more. I just wish we could trial run one. <laughs> do you want to, do, do you want me to just ask? <laughs> Can we just go for the one first? Just try that one day, and if that's all good, if that one's all fertilised and whatnot, then sure, fertilise the rest of the next days. I mean, I don't even know what the rules are. Like, obviously, we've so we bought ten. We 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 went for the big guns. Yeah. We bought... And they're all going in at once. <laughs> Christ, I'll be like the new Octo Mom. <laughs> um, yeah. So I don't know how it works. Like, do they thaw them all and then? inject them all or do they do it one at a time or do they do it based on the amount that we want to go back in so in your case all of them 10 yeah <laughs> i don't even know how it works Ten uplets. is that what they're called i don't know anyway we're not having them um yeah so i i feel like i'm all a bit of a novice now in this whole process given that i felt like a bit of a veteran of ivf this is like a whole different ball game um do they always use ICSI with dana or is it the same rules as any i think it's the same rules as any i think they're just using ICSI because of the antibodies bloody antibodies (laughs) the reason well the reason that we had our initial referral but then obviously the reason we're in this mess it's not the reason we're in this mess actually (laughs) (laughs) not at all if anything, I'm the reason we're in this mess. <laughs> and we're not playing the blame game. No. That's what we're not here for. No. So, yeah. Big news. Yeah. How did you feel adding to cart? Nervous. Yeah. And excited. Yeah. But, yeah, it's, I think it's right putting yourself back into that hope slash disappointment mm. phase again. I mean, that's the only good thing about lockdown is you can put your head back in the sand for a bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely, like, quite terrifying getting back on that treadmill, isn't it? To think that, actually, something else could also, go wrong. because I can remember when we, were, when we first accepted that we had to go to IVF, you just assume, oh, we made this is going to work then. Yeah. We're getting help, so it's going to work. And, it's and really... I don't want to fall into that trap again. Well, nobody's going to say it's really hard not to fall into yeah. that trap again. Because it's like, oh, but it's someone else's eggs. So yeah. surely Done. that's going to work. And actually, it might not. And that mm. sucks. Because what do we do? Well, we know what we do then. But it's, yeah. It really is that whole feeling of like putting your eggs in all all your eggs in that basket again. that was my plan <laughs> all the eggs in one basket yeah. all or nothing roll that dice yeah it kind of hits you doesn't it that actually like you know this really is going to be the final countdown well final in one sense I mean if this didn't work there's other options there are other options, and we feel really comfortable that yeah. we've explored them, and they're definitely because I, I that can we understand people's decision that if IVF doesn't work, then they'll just accept that and move on. But I think we want to be parents, so like you know, it's um, genetic aren't desperately important. We just want to be parents, so I think that option is still definitely available. Yeah, and I feel like it's going to be probably take us a bit longer to be ready to carry on down that road because I think as much as obviously it took us a little while to decide on the donor option, it is still IVF. Like we've said before, it's kind of still known, so it's almost just a little shift to the left as opposed to adoption, which is like just a whole new ball game and, and kind of way to learn about and to kind of wrap your head around. Um, but we don't know that, you know, that's something that we're going to have to think about yet. I mean, we ne- you never know. We may decide to do that as well. Yeah. Just end up with like 50 children. 
could be that case like you you're, you're childless for ages and they're like in about two years you've got about four kids or something <laughs> like um what's her face pippa from home and away she's a good role model she was yeah she just took oh, who was in. the one from uh pike grove oh answers on the postcard yeah i can't remember <laughs> oh that's annoying i still have that program yeah Anyway, so that's our big news. Yeah. Um, no news from the clinic. I did. Ra- I did ring them today. <laughs> Hello, are you open yet? Um, they're not. Uh- <laughs> I just saw your number come up. Ignored. <laughs> I was here again. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> You're lucky you haven't been blocked yet. That's true. Um, no, they haven't been published on the list yet. I haven't even had an email. Like loads of people have had emails from their clinics and stuff. Um, but I mean, I did have an email to say we're closed and we're like doing virtual consultations and over the phone meetings and stuff. Um, but of the reopening, there has been no communication. Now, is that, is that Wales in general or is that our clinic? I haven't seen that any clinics in Wales are on the list yet um, but I think the guidance from the HFEA is UK wide I think so I don't think the because um, for those of you who aren't aware um, we're still locked Wales is definitely closed for business right now um, so we've kind of gone a little bit of a different route to England Um so, I th- what are you wondering if that's impacted on whether or not they're going to open? I don't, I don't, I don't know. Because um, I thought if they're not opening Cardiff, what's the likelihood the capital city? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, they've got to apply from yesterday, so yeah. it may be that it's just taken them a little bit longer to get their procedures in place and stuff. Yeah. Um, plus, obviously, I don't know how many um, couples there were before us who had treatment cancelled mid-cycle, things like that. So it may be that they're going to be operating some sort of waiting list system. Um, so, you know, even though we've secured our eggs, as it were, yeah, it may be that things don't kick off for a little while anyway. Um, so we'll see. But yeah. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed we'll hear something soon. Um, but if anybody knows how these things work, can we just do one? <laughs> And just... if anyone knows the woman in Biker Grove... Oh, yeah, let us know. That would also be... I mean, I'm sure I could Google it in a minute, but... Yeah, OK. So, requests from this week are... Can we just do one egg at a time? <laughs> and Who was the foster carer in Biker Grove? Who was the foster carer in Biker Grove? Thanks, guys. We'll uh, catch up with you next week and hopefully give you the answers to those two questions. There's a pub quiz for you. Yeah. Have a good week, everyone. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Thank you.
absolute pleasure to have you on this podcast. You are speaking to us from America. Yes, the Northwest USA. Oh, wow. So Beth, as you know, we start every podcast by asking people to tell us about the journey. Yes. Can you tell us about yours? Yes, I can. I, um... Uh, I made some notes on my journey because I was prepared for okay, this question. Cool. <laughs> for That's great. We like, we um, like preparation. Yeah, I was like, I should make some notes. Um, <laughs> so I think the the first thing to note about my journey is that I, I'm a queer person. So um, I identify as queer and my partner identifies as queer and, and transmasculine. Um, and for me, just for those that don't know, and I think being queer can mean different things to a lot of different people, but to me and to my community, it, it means both um, something about my sexual orientation, who I tend to partner with, and also it's about my gender. So I um, don't really I identify as non-binary gender, so I'm not like don't identify as male or female, and I kind of exist somewhere outside of that. Um, and my gender team, it, it tends to shift around with the years in my life. So there's some years I'll wear like a ton of jewelry <laughs> and like <laughs> tool, you know, <laughs> and some years yeah. I'm wearing like men's polo shirts and binding my chest and stuff like that. So it's, it's not like a fixed point for me. Um, and the, the reason why I start there is because when I was 31, my partner and I decided we wanted to start talking about, um, having, you know, having a baby and what that looked like. And there's a couple things that were different for us that maybe are, are unique that from other people that aren't queer and trans or um, part of the LGBTQ community generally. Um, so the first part of that equation was talking about how we were going to get sperm because neither of us make sperm. <laughs> so we were like, okay, we're going to have to figure so out. We needed some. Yeah, we have to get, I've heard that that's a critical component to this baby making thing. And so <laughs> Apart- we need to figure Unfortunately. <laughs> Um, and I, you know, I dabbled in heterosexuality in my 20s. So I'm familiar with the substance and, you know, it's, you know, it's, uh, gross. it's like, okay, it's not great. Nice I, I know what's coming. Um, we need to procure some <laughs> somehow. Okay. So, uh, trying to figure out how to get sperm, like where we were going to get it. And then, uh, if we were going to use a known donor or an anonymous donor, um, was a question that we had to discuss. And then the other thing that I was thinking about and really worried about at the time was how I was going to experience pregnancy with my gender. <laughs> Right. So yeah, it's like, oh, that's going to be weird. Like, what am I going to wear? Mm. I was really concerned about what I was going to wear when I was pregnant. I was like, that's a real right? good question. <laughs> Fucking hell. It's like, am I going to wear oversized polo shirts? Like, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I remember spending a significant amount of time concerned about that, which seems ridiculous to me now. Because um, I just jumped over the whole <laughs> like, getting pregnant thing and went right to yeah. like, oh, that's going to be odd. And I'm going to have to interact with this system that's going to read me as a woman. And that's okay. I mean, for, for me, that's okay. For a lot of people, it's not. But um, yeah, it was something I spent significant time. The assumption that you're going to get pregnant yeah. so it was is, just like is right, a classic. Right there. And I, so I really, we opened this conversation thinking that those are going to be the two hardest parts of mm-hmm. pregnancy. Okay. Um, and the other thing is, is that, you know, I was 31, <clears throat> we knew we had to start talking about these things and that like that conversation was really the initiation of us trying, right? So as opposed to trying through sex, which wasn't going to work for us and baby was never going to come <laughs> from mm-hmm. that activity, mm-hmm. our like initiation was just starting the conversation about how we were going to procure sperm. Um, there's a lot that goes into that conversation, um, I th- you know, directed donor, so someone you know versus anonymous donor, whether or not you're going to try to get pregnant at home, um, so like self-inseminate or go to a clinic. Uh, there's So there was all of those kind of details to work out with my partner, and we had to come together um, with where we landed on what we both wanted. Um, oh, that must have been difficult. It was, it was. So the, the funny part of it now uh, is that I, at the time, was very against paying for sperm. I, I'm like, sperm has got to be our species most <laughs> renewable resource it's everywhere i feel like i could scrape it off the walls <laughs> in clubs you know like, that is such go a good line i'm gonna use that line <laughs> <laughs> Shit, it's like i could go down to a bar down the street and just get some right like i could work that um i don't want to pay for it and it's like 700 to a thousand us dollars to buy vials of sperm here and so i was really against paying money um to get pregnant i thought that you know it, it shouldn't have to cost money we don't you know just because mm. we're queer doesn't mean we should have to kind of go broke uh, yeah. <laughs> paying for it now, and again now I'm like oh I wish I only had to pay for sperm <laughs> going oh, back in time um, yeah. so we decided that um, we would use a known donor um, and that we were going to approach a buddy of mine that's that I you know I see we're, we're like hiking friends we backpack and camp together a couple times a year and he's a good guy and um, we thought he would be someone that we could like stand to have in our lives for, <laughs> for, the, for the future and that he, you know would really 
important. It's a hard question. <laughs> it's a hard question because it's not just where you get the sperm from, but like, what do you want your relationship with that person to be if it's someone that you know? Um, yeah. So some people I know have used like a sibling sperm, like their partner's sibling sperm or family member or close friend. Um, and that felt a little too close to, for us also, yeah. we, like we don't have a sibling, <laughs> like my, my partner doesn't have a sibling that produces sperm that we could use. Um, and we didn't want someone so close that was some, that we would see them like every day. We thought maybe like a distant uncle <laughs> figure would be something that worked <laughs> for us. Um, so we made that decision. It probably took us six months of conversation to just land on what we wanted to do as a couple. And then yeah. we had to like approach the friend, right? So that that's an interesting that's, that's... You know, that's experience. surely the hardest conversation as well. <laughs> oh God. Well, even... I opened it over text message, which was fine. Um, just to, which I, I imagine was a, uh, an interesting text to get <laughs> to receive on the other end. Um, but yeah, so we we approached him, and he was really open to the to the idea, but wanted to have like some some significant conversations about what that meant. Like, it's not just again giving the sample, but what does it mean if. Um, I'm biologically related to this person. Like, what do, what do we want that relationship to look like? What are we all comfortable with? And so, <clears throat> I mean, at that point, I think it took us about six months from the initial approach um, to when the decision was made to kind of work through all the details, which at the time felt really good. It felt like a really positive um, interaction. It felt like we were working through a lot of, you know, different, different things that could come up. Um, he talked to his family about it, so he was really open with his like parents and siblings that he was going to do this and that there would be this relationship in his life. Um, we had a lot of conversations together about what we wanted, like making it clear that me and my partner would be parents and that he could be involved, but as a non-parental figure and making sure we worked all of that out. Um, and then we also had to sign sign something about it. It's like a document, um, a legal. I was going to say, like, mm-hmm. you're a lawyer, you're a lawyer, lawyer right? Yeah. <laughs> so so what, what are the contracts involved in this scenario? We just did a sperm donor agreement. And, um, you know, something to note here, too, is that, you know, I'm queer and part of queer community, and this is not something that is uh, uncommon <laughs> in my community. Okay. So I... I talked mm. to several friends about what kind of document did you use? You know, because I had known all these people I knew had babies were using donors. A lot of them were using known donors. So I got a couple sample documents from some friends like, that they had used. There's a midwife practice um, in the area in the Northwest that like has a sample sperm donor agreement on their website that you can use. And so, oh, brilliant. You yeah. can copy and paste. Yeah, copied and pasted it, kind of worked through it. We Amazing. added some stuff <laughs> to make it specific. Um, and then we... Uh, got it notarized so we went to a bank and all three sat there and got it notarized which again the notary I, I can't imagine what was going through his head <laughs> but um, so we were all good to go and so uh, you know you know also during that time when we were negotiating the kind of details I was doing all the tracking like temperature tracking and peeing on the little mm-hmm. ovulation strips and you know getting to know my body and cervical you know mucus all of that fun cervical stuff that we, <laughs> that we talk about familiar with all of the different phases of my the cycle fuck. yeah yeah mm-hmm. so it just it felt like I should even then I was like well if my period doesn't come on time does that you know you kind of think that maybe <laughs> you could be pregnant even though there's like no sperm there was no sperm mm-hmm. oh totally your brain goes to places yeah. that yeah. there's just no way yeah, just like and then the you whole... google has this happened right yeah I think it did. Yeah. It, like, there's a there's a religion I think based off of it happening. Yeah, like a, a couple of thousand years ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. something one, like yeah, one documented really <laughs> obscure religion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So why my mind went there, you know? <laughs> like, maybe maybe it's immaculate. I don't know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, by the time we signed the agreement and I had done all the tracking, it had been over a year. Um, of kind of negotiating this and talking about it and having it be pretty present in my my brain and in my life and so the first time we tried I was just like it will work <laughs> you know like it's definitely gonna yeah. work um yeah and, we've got the data yeah, I guess yeah we got the, yeah. The, I know how to do it I, I did a lot of again research with both my friends who had done um self-insemination and using some mm-hmm. like trusted uh internet resources about how to how to do that um mm. most effectively um <clears throat> and you know, we, the, the the process of, of going to pick up sperm and self-inseminating is its own fun <laughs> adventure. I mean, I want to hear more about yeah, this. Yeah, I want to hear about yeah. this. Yeah. So, we, so we both live in the same city in Seattle, both us and our donor, but we don't live close together. And so um, knowing that we had to, like, 
once the samples produced, we needed to use it within an hour. Um, it, what it meant is that we had to go to his house and kind of sit outside and wait for him to come out with it. And then we went somewhere to use it, like in the neighborhood. Um, okay. And so what we did is we exchanged lunch boxes, insulated lunch boxes to keep the sample warm. <laughs> right. So like he nice. handed us, we, I purchased a couple, they were Star Wars themed lunch boxes, which we thought were hilarious, but oh, you know, like it. he gave us his sample and then this insulated like Kylo Ren <laughs> lunch box. And then we gave him an insulated lunch box that had a beer in it, <laughs> a cold beer. And we just like traded it in these like dark alleyways <laughs> outside of his house, um, which I'm sure looks super sketchy to anyone that was watching um i love it and we we thought at the time we're like isn't this a great story like when our kid goes to elementary school we're totally going to use these lunch boxes like (laughs) just save these you'd have to call the baby kylo right yeah Yeah. there was no other answer i mean that decision was made for us if it had worked great name okay (laughs) tell me the origin of my name be like well it's nothing to do with the film (laughs) it's everything to do with the lunchbox um so we did that and then we had to go uh because we, you know, we weren't going to, I was, I felt uncomfortable going into the donor's house to do this deed. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up in like a parking lot at a local public park, in like right. a dark corner behind a dumpster, you know, trying to right. do this insemination wow. in the back of the car, um, which is his own. It was at the time was pretty hilarious, um, mostly because we didn't get caught, you know, like I, it's like <laughs> no one came with a flashlight in the window trying to figure out what we were doing. But can you imagine? Yeah, the risk of that was <laughs> just a thrill ride every time. Um, I love it. And so it was, you know, it was a lot of effort to do that. We did it like three nights in a row every month around my when I ovulated. Um, and so <clears throat> I think with the investment of that prior year of negotiating and then like all of the effort that went into doing the insemination and I'm again I'm a lawyer I'm very type A I'm very focused on process and doing things correctly at least to the best that I can tell Getting results yeah and so right. I was like if we do this right it's just going to work um and it 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 didn't it didn't work the first time um and it didn't work the seventh time you know like after seven months of trying this with some breaks you know like when people are out of you know if people are out of town you can't do this um and it was a lot harder than I thought it would be because I going into it I thought well you know don't get too tied to it. I think, you know, you talk about that a lot on the podcast where um, you think you should be able to be stronger through those, those moments of loss, but it gets increasingly more difficult every month. Um, And so I, I started to um, wonder if something was wrong. I I thought something might be wrong with the sperm. Um, Also, because it's just gross. If you've ever handled someone's sperm that you're not sleeping with, or even that you are, (laughs) It's just not, it's yeah. not great. You know? say, it's yeah. also hard to look at it and be like, is this going to create life or is this just disgusting? You know, I don't, I don't know. Um, yeah. So I started to think there was something wrong with the sperm or that I was doing, like we were doing the insemination wrong. Um, and I think something that happened that I think is interesting and, and, and related to what other, other folks experience when they're going through this is that my friends started to give me advice and tips <clears throat> kind of similar to what other people, um, people that are heterosexual talk about how everyone tells them to relax or like oh you my know, god like all yeah of that. it's the best thing oh, yeah it's terrible off. so i i Go got that <laughs> like, just relax it will work and then i also <sighs> got like tips on how to do this differently so it was like well are you using a a plastic like syringe to like suck the sperm up out of the cup or using a glass one because you shoot a glass or like are you using the syringe yeah, the BPA. yeah. or yeah exactly because the bpas or like you should be using the cervical cap thing you know like put it in the cap and then put um, the cap in or yeah. you should be doing some kind of ritual around it to make it meaningful or interestingly what? people were like you should have an orgasm before and other people were like you should have an orgasm after which i still am like if if people with uteruses were required to have orgasms to create Life. Yeah, there, there would be, be no very babies. few people, <laughs> right? Um, and so, but all of this information was coming, um, which just added to the stress. And then every month it didn't work. It just, it, you know, there's just so many questions that you start to ask. Um, and so I started to want medical intervention for that reason, because it was just too many, too many variables. So even though technically it had only been eight tries, it felt to me like a year and eight tries, <laughs> like a year of prep yeah, and eight absolutely. tries. Um, that's a long time it's a long yeah it was a long time so it was you know started when I was talking about when I was 31 this brings me to about that was 33 um when we went to the clinic and we had a sperm tested and the sperm was like fine not great could be a problem not like like it wasn't it wasn't awesome there was some question to it um and so we were toying with the idea of maybe using a a frozen derms like frozen donor that had awesome sperm (laughs) it's like can we eliminate that variable um 
and then also wanted to make sure that everything was okay with me and that we had like you know I, I started to want to have the the ultrasound where they're like you're you're gonna ovulate now and we're gonna sh- shoot it in at this time and we can see it you know <laughs> basically in my mind I was like they'll be able to see conception happening even though I know that's not how it works um and so I then again thought it was just gonna work I was like okay we tried that we did our DIY <laughs> mm-hmm. you know car yeah. in a park we've given it a good shot thing. yeah <laughs> yeah um we're gonna try this now um and so I found a provider who's also queer um that I knew other other people went to and um you know, the, our community is really good at talking about sperm, talking about donors, talking about uh, donor contracts, talking about how to handle sperm and do insemination. But it, that, what I learned is that that's kind of where it ends. Like once you get to the, the clinic and medical intervention, there's not a lot of conversation about what might happen after that. Um, and so I, you know, for having felt feeling like I had so much information about this process for my community and my research, I didn't really know what fertility evaluation and testing was going to look like which is not great <laughs> it's not great as, no. as you know it's um, not it's, you kind of walk into the clinic and are a bit bombarded with information and come away like right it also makes me really mad at all of the education i got about conception yeah. and like God, baby yeah. making the, it's like really no. don't have sex because you'll get pregnant <laughs> it's, like, it's, yeah. it's really hard to get pregnant actually for a lot of <laughs> fucking yeah. really fucking hard <laughs> And then I want it to be easy. Like now I'm like, I wish I could just sit on a toilet seat, you know, like they scare you. Like don't sit, you know, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. The toilet seat I thing. Yeah. I would love if that was true. <laughs> no, but, um, yeah. So I got, um, the, the blood work done and then they did the follicle count. That was all fine. And then we did the HSG test. Um, uh, I love that. Yeah. And it, that, that test revealed that both my fallopian tubes were blocked. <clears throat> so they don't work. It's also, Mate. I think, Emma, you had that test done and said it was excreciating. It, yeah, yeah, I had. Well, I had it twice. Yeah. Once was fine. The second time was horrendous. Yeah, I had the the excruciating experience, which was, uh. and it was also surprising. I think because again, they're like, a, you know, for ninety five percent of people, this is fine. You know, there was nothing. There was nothing yeah. in my history that indicated that I would have this problem, and so I was pretty unprepared for it <laughs> in the moment. Do you know? Do you know why it's happened? No. No. No, oh they don't. God. It's non diagnostic. It, it's possible like this is something I didn't we, I mean they can't they can't really say I did have salmonella yeah. bad when I was younger like in my young teenage okay. years and it could be that but it's like they don't really know um there's nothing that clearly indicates that this would be the case and so I just have non-diagnostic what they call non-diagnostic bilateral tubal blockage or something is what it says oh my on my, my chart um so, so you can't even blame it on anyone no <laughs> I blame it on my doctor. Yeah, I maybe I'll blame it on your doctor. That that's cool. That'd be a, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Just, mm-hmm. yeah throw yeah. it all in. They'll take it on yeah, the chin. It's probably it's got to be someone's fault, right? Yay! <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, so that's big news. Yeah, that was big news, and it it was. I mean, it, I think for everyone that finds out the news, it's devastating. But it also was just like all of the the contracting and with the donor and all of that mm. experience, which just made that all feel um, ridiculous. You know, like I was doing yeah. all this stuff and it was never going to work, <laughs> you know, and I, I didn't know. And I was I reje- so rejected medical intervention when really I should have done that you know, almost two years prior. Like if I, I would have known two years prior and gone that the, that time back. I think there's like all those thoughts that go through your head. Um, was there a sense of relief that you kind of knew why it hadn't worked or is it just you're just furious? So I was pretty that. mad. I mean, because I think that going into it, I was like, it was it's the sperm that doesn't work. <laughs> You know, I was like, so yeah, I thought yeah. that was like, I had already landed on that being the reason why. Yeah. And so, um, I really was, was like, I had to do this evaluation before they would do the IUI treatment. Um, uh-huh. and so I was just, I really just like scheduled it as fast as I could to get through it. It never occurred to me that something would actually be wrong with me. Um, which it, yeah, <laughs> it's just part of the story, I think. Um, yeah. I think that's a pretty common experience that you go in, find out something's wrong with you. And I think most people think there's nothing wrong with me unless like you've got obvious symptoms like PCOS or, you know, a mad cycle or something. And then you're like, why have I just spent two years or like a year and a half trying really, really hard to do this? Like scheduling sex or scheduling whatever I and mean, i think that it, i think that really exposes the the problem i think one of the things your podcast is trying to do right is to talk about this because no one yeah, talks yeah, yeah. about it so i think it's really presented as this really rare thing that very few people have and it's really hard and like don't even don't even look there um and so yeah like that that realization 
Um, and the surprise and shock of it, I think, is a product of that kind of stigma and shame um, around needing help uh, with fertility. Even I think even in the queer community, like I love my community. It's beautiful. We really help each other. But we don't talk about IVF. Like one of my first thoughts was like, I can't do IVF. Queer people don't do IVF. <laughs> like, of course they do. Of course we do. <laughs> but it was right. with the amount of time yeah. I have spent talking about sperm and donors and like I even IUI openly with my community. I still don't have very many people I talk to about IVF and those that I do talk to, it's like still this like secret thing we can't share. Like I can't share that other people have had this experience, even though we all know that there was some intervention because it's two people with uteruses that have had a baby. So something had to happen, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, like, yeah. What, what was it? <laughs> you know, yeah. for, well, I don't know why IVF is. Um, so strange. Yeah, it's, off yeah. the table. I, I, I think it's just like, part of the, the same. Problem? thing that everyone that goes through IVF experiences um in that funny funny story in that moment uh the doctor who realized that I knew what was going on <laughs> was like oh she, you know this person realizes that they need IVF looked at my partner and like it says all over our chart that he's trans <laughs> like that we were using a donor and the doctor who was just trying to be helpful was looked at him and was like well how are your sperm counts <laughs> Oh, <laughs> and it was like, <laughs> like pretty bad. Yeah, he was like, I don't, I don't, man. And I just like unleashed on the doctor, which was inappropriate because I was upset, <laughs> like about the other news. But um, yeah, it, that was a funny, a funny moment. Um, so, mm-hmm. And how has that been generally with your clinic? Are they, are they used to this, or are they kind of finding it? difficult they they they're wonderful i think my all the the clinic and everyone that i've interacted with there has been wonderful um they try to be really supportive of um queer people you know people of all different walks of life and so like in consultation there's been nothing that has come up that has been problematic um i think what happens is that uh they they forget i think that the norm for them is is working with heterosexual people as is the norm right and so and my partner passes, so people read him as male, <clears throat> um, which is great. <laughs> That's what he wants. But it's so I think it, when they see us um, in Seattle, where a lot of people have like differing gender presentations, um, they just forget and read us as, heter- as heterosexual, and then do funny things. Like they, when I had my retrieval done, they showed him where the like sample room was that he was going to go to. <laughs> I was mm. like. Just look at on, just guys. like so if they're not looking at the chart, it doesn't yeah, it yeah. doesn't flag for them that it would be something they had to consider. Um, yeah, and he, mm-hmm. like, are you guys able to laugh at that shit, or does it just piss you off so much that you just we laugh get at driven it around the bend? Um, yeah, it's a great Good. question. So Good. we're able to yeah. laugh at it, but I don't think that's true for everyone. Um, yeah, and I think you know we we both have had much more traumatic experiences with the medical system, particularly my partner around gender. And so this is like, it seems kind of trivial. <laughs> like, ah, that's hilarious. Like my partner was like, he told the nurse when she showed him where the like, e-jack room was. And he was like, I can go in there, but I don't think I'm going to get you anything <laughs> that you want to use. And then she just <laughs> looked at the chart, you know, and realized the mistake she had made. And it does mean that we have to make sure that they like had our sperm, like and on that day when there's all that yeah, stress yeah. going on, I was like, do you, do you know, even you need to thaw that vial of sperm did you have that <laughs> yeah make sure um yeah, so there's a little yeah. extra due diligence there um that's a little heart attack that you don't need right. in that situation <laughs> like, oh, did they lose it do they know it's ours um we did you know we did i did end up paying for sperm just so you know like we <laughs> my original yeah, fear right, back right. in the day had to right. do that uh, was the least you know because in the u.s we don't have coverage for this so um yeah it was the least expensive part <laughs> of this process oh, which is you know some great irony um, and how mm. how did it feel when you were going through that that part? Did you feel kind of resentful, or were you just just wanted to get through it? Through the uh, those kind of selecting the sperm and paying for it part. That's a great question. So I didn't care at all, um, cool. which was me. Um, my partner cared a lot, and so it kind of been you know that that job or that labor got shifted to him. So he went through the. Um, like the donor sperm donor bank and picked a couple and ran them by me okay. and I was like great whatever <laughs> you know <laughs> um, but you know that's I don't know that that was the right approach that I had I think I was so overwhelmed at the time with everything else going on that I just couldn't even like in my mind we had already selected our donor and we had this agreement and done this yeah. thing and so I didn't really have the energy to do it again um, uh-huh. and so that really um, 
shifted. And I guess that goes to the privilege of being in a partnership, right? Is that he was able to kind yeah. of take that over yeah. and make sure that we knew something about the donor. Because if it does work and we have a, a baby someday when they're 18, they'll, they'll be able to know who that person mm. is. So it'd be nice to know that there was like some intention <laughs> in selecting yeah. the donor. We tried. Uh, the other yeah. um, thing I'll mention too is that, uh, so our clinic requires, so if you use any third party donor, you have to have counseling. Um, which is fine. Like we're very supportive of people doing counseling. It was just funny when we, we got to counseling, it was very clear that the questions, like the, the way that that, you know, counseling services programmed is for people who never have never considered using a donor before. And usually it's heterosexual couples. And so like all the questions were, they would like ask, you know, how, how will your families feel about using a donor? And we, we were like, well, they, no, or like, how will you tell your friends? And we're like, all of our friends have used donors. Like everyone I know that has had a baby has used a donor. And so it's just like, we had already gone through that process. And so the counselor was, um, again, a wonderful person. and was just kind of laughing through it with us. And she was like, I, okay. I have no new information for you, but you know, we have to, <laughs> we have to check this box that you, <laughs> that you did this. Um, and so, I mean, I think it would have been great if there had been some like deeper questions or something more geared to clear people Um, because I think that it's a really good exercise to to ask those questions and make sure people are thinking about those things or having those conversations together Um, and just because we had done that preliminary stuff doesn't mean there's nothing else to talk about Um, so that would have been helpful but we can we can seek that out other places I think as well but it was a funny it was a funny one hour of our lives where we almost felt like we were educating her (laughs) Like how, yeah. how this yeah, works. And like, and now you need to pay us for all of the education yes. that's just taken place. Like, oh, yeah, here we'll because we told her about like our sperm donor agreement. She was like, oh, you know, because they they refer people to to lawyers to do that. But I was like, oh, the community has tons of these. You don't need like people don't need to pay for them <laughs> kind of thing. So, um, yeah, it was that was a fun experience. Um, it must be frustrating to have to use a system that's not kind of that's set up to cater for a different group of people. And that has to kind of make, not make allowances. I don't know what, what the language I'm looking for is, but it must be frustrating to just have to deal with that. It must be tiring. It, it, I think what's frustrating about it is that we have to think about it, you know, that there, mm. or there, that there has to be any explanation. Um, and I, th- I think we've gotten lost in it. I mean, IVF is so time intensive and emotionally intensive too that I think there's just, we allow things to kind of slide by and happen without interrupting <laughs> you know because there's just so so much else going on yeah um, yeah you haven't got time yeah so it's just to fix it even though our, time our, or energy yeah and even though the, their clinic has really good intentions around that and they could do better you know um but i'm not gonna tell them how to do that when i'm going through ivf <laughs> yeah. you know so yeah. yeah um would you would you like to like would you like to see guidelines i think that's surely something that could happen for you know so that when this happens again they they know what needs to happen what they need to say what questionnaire they need to use instead of the fucking one that makes no sense for you whatsoever <laughs> yeah or or even just um creativity I, you know because guide I, there might be guidelines I've, I actually haven't done any research on that to know again because I think like going through it I was um just trying to survive the process but I think you know I live in Seattle it's a very liberal place there are a lot of queer people here our clinic has done very well I think in in, in, in treating us and like not being surprised or thrown off by the fact that we're queer and trans um and it's still uh, noticeable like we we still feel that we're not like that that you're like you're saying like that this wasn't built for us or like when this was, yeah. when this started we weren't the the folks that were um planned for <laughs> so uh yeah so I think that's hard so I, I almost think that part of what needs to happen is like I we need queer people need to talk about it more because I think that that's the same it's the same thing with IVF generally infertility generally is that it's just not something that you know we speak about uh, I mean we do but not when it comes to like a higher level of medical intervention um, and so I, I think it's all of it like because I, I wonder too if if we felt more supported kind of out in the community if it would matter as much what was going on in the clinic because there's so much frustration generally um, 
with this process, which I think is like largely articulated and like made visible by like the work you guys are doing, which is really important. Um, and so uh, I think just feeling like we're seen as like a part of the population that goes through this process would be really helpful. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you did your, um, your egg retrieval. Mm-hmm. What happened next? Yes, so I did my egg retrieval in the fall. Um, we were we were lucky; it went well. <clears throat> um, I and we did a freeze all cycle, which is I think more common here. Um, so froze them. We had planned to do a transfer in March <laughs> this year. March this year. Yeah, cool. and so cool, that cool. clearly didn't happen. We got canceled. Uh-huh. Like the COVID happened, and it was canceled. Um, Fucking COVID. Yeah, which was wild. You know, like that. Um, like cycle cancellation it's, it's like the the amount of investment emotional investment you put into every stage of this is really wild <laughs> like something to talk about so even though we were really supportive of the reasons why it was being cancelled it still it still hurts right you're just like ugh yeah. <laughs> is this never going to happen Definitely. is this some greater yeah. sign from the universe you know like, I think all of those more fucking waiting yes. right. <laughs> so much so, waiting yeah because at this point it's uh, been so I'm 34 now so, so, so it's been like we've been in this process for essentially three years even though Technically, we only like tried with sperm seven times. Um, so, yeah, so we it was put on hold, but we did in May. Um, we got this call, literally, like, I got a call on like a Tuesday, and they were like, hey, we're open. Do you want to come in tomorrow <laughs> to start your transfer cycle? What? I was like, ah. um, sure. And so that was really exciting, and we ran ran uh-huh. through the through a transfer cycle and we found out a couple weeks ago it didn't work um which is again thank you it's you know again i was surprised how devastating that was um something else that like again we we all need to talk about because it's um i was intellectually prepared for it not to work i know that there's like you know 50 percent chance it will work and a 50 percent chance it won't and like you can't you know that the first time isn't indicative of what will ultimately happen um but it still was like, you know, like a, I felt like a balloon that was deflated <laughs> when you get those test yeah. results and you have to kind of scrape yourself off the floor. And um, it's not something we didn't tell a lot of people we were going to try. Uh, and so it's hard to figure out how to get support around that. Um, yeah. And, how do you communicate how you're feeling? It's and it just impossible. doesn't land on people in the way that you think it will because i think you know just yeah. like it's hard yeah, to they talk don't about get it yeah it's just like when you talk to people about when you're trying and it's not working and people are like just relax I and mean, it's the same thing i don't think folks really understand like how like you didn't have a miscarriage so there's yeah. been no loss right yeah there's no loss you can try again you know and the, yeah it's yeah it's, it is a form of grief it is and it's just like you you pick yourself off the floor and then you, everything keeps going too like you just go back to work Mm. <laughs> yeah no one's there to be like are you okay mm-hmm. yeah. um oh my god and it's it's hard well for me it was hard because i was told that a ivf had been invented for people whose fallopian tubes weren't yeah. clear mm-hmm. um and i was basically told well i was the right age and so you're like running through these things and googling data for people like you and all the signs show that it should work and so then when it doesn't, I like I definitely wasn't even remotely prepared for it to not work. I was like, it's going to work. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Yeah, and they're so encouraging the whole time too. Like I received a lot of that yeah. information as well. And they were like, yeah. your lining looks great. Everything's oh, perfect. Yeah. It was like a, the embryo grading, you know, <laughs> all, of, all of those oh things God. that are kind of hard to understand. But it sounds really good. Um, and so it was really, so I was surprised. Yeah, similarly surprised and and not really prepared for it not to work um and now like i don't know if this is standard in the uk but we're gonna like we're, do- we're doing now more more evaluation before i do another transfer so i'm gonna do like okay. some like endometrial receptivity something something um that's i'm sure gonna be uncomfortable <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just, yeah, just give me more data like <laughs> more data yeah 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 so you know they just tend to tell you they just keep throwing the embryos at you for a while don't they here before they do anything further <laughs> Beth, it's been such a joy having you on. We've had such a nice chat. Um, I guess our final question would be, what is your advice to other couples who are trans, who are just queer, um, going through the same thing? I think my advice would be really to just know that you're not the only ones going through it. I think um, 
one of the the hardest parts for us, which I discussed, is thinking that queer people didn't didn't go through this. Um, and so I, I think you just need to know that you're not alone, <laughs> um, and that yeah. you, that if you reach out, other people will reach back. Like as as I've talked about it, people come out of the woodwork um, that have had similar experiences. And even though that's not the easiest way to find community, that queer IVF community, it's it's definitely there. Um, and so that would be my advice: is to to seek it, seek out support in your community. So just just basically just just get out there and talk about it yeah good to just talk about it and that's something i'm going to try to do more um now that i feel more emotionally <laughs> able to do that but yeah to get talk about it ask for help um and what what are your next steps um so next steps i'm going to do some evaluation with my clinic and get some answers if we need to change my protocol at all and then we'll try again in the fall so we have we have a couple more embryos to try and so we're just going to keep as i say just throwing them in there <laughs> um and, and see if any of them stick um, so we're trying to to stay positive. My my partner is much more positive, just generally, oh, yeah, than I am. So yeah. I'm just leaning on his optimism. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us. It's been brilliant. Yes, thank you so much. We're talking yoga. 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 Ah. Dog. Namaste. Can I tell you how bad I am at yoga? Yes, please. I am. I did yoga for a while in a village hall near where we both used to work. And Mm. it was me, one of our colleagues, in fact, two of our colleagues, and five or six extremely elderly women. Is this where you and I used to work? Yeah. Is it in West London? Uh, Yes. Okay, just checking. Teddington. Just checking. Teddington. Um, and it was in this like really gorgeous church, but I was by a long shot the worst in the class. Oh dear, nice. Yeah, and then then later, a few months later, my friend Holly, hi Holly, if you're listening, dragged me to a really really fancy like yoga studio where there was a really nice instructor called Nora, um, and she she was teaching yoga but I literally it was all these like really trendy posh west west london women who basically just do yoga all day and me and holly who's really bendy and really good at it mm-hmm. and I literally there were like poses where I would just fall over because I just couldn't I didn't have the balance oh dear it was so bad it's, it's just hard. embarrassing I um as listeners probably already know I have dabbled um and I yeah, I went through a period, I got really excited about going. I did that classic thing in January where I like bought a load of classes and I was like, I'm going to become a mm-hmm. yoga guru and yeah. um, rocked up at these classes. And because I have a condition called non-allergic rhinitis, don't know if you know. I, I kind of knew that. Mm, it basically means I'm sniffy as hell. Okay. I'm always sniffing and sneezing. And I got went through this period of like going to these yoga classes and my nose would just be pouring. And I was just like, this is, I'm like sniffing through the class. I hated myself. And so I stopped for a while. <laughs> it was awful. It was really awful. <laughs> but also, um, I had, when we were doing IVF, um, I did have this, not, I didn't have this particular problem. I was paranoid about the particular problem that we spoke to Professor yeah. Tim about. The old talk or twisted ovaries. I was convinced I had twisted my ovaries. I definitely hadn't. Um, so yeah. Um, okay. Well, we'll we'll listen to what Professor Tim had to say about it. Namaste. So, whilst not being a fan of yoga myself, I can understand how many people swear by it. Um, in fact, here at Oxford Fertility and at the Fertility Partnership, we actually. Offer currently we're doing online yoga for for our staff, and it's pretty popular. I'm not aware of any evidence at all that uh, that yoga or getting into um, sort of unusual positions would actually make your ovaries twist. The ovaries are very well supported inside the pelvis, and doesn't matter what position you're in, that's not going to be swinging the ovaries around and getting them into a twisting position. So. I wouldn't worry about that at all. So I think if you like the idea of yoga or you, or you enjoy doing yoga, then then go for it. Well, guys, that's a wrap. It is a wrap. It was, I, I think, a very good show. Yes, I think it was a great show. Um, I hope you all enjoyed it. Yes. 
and we will be back as always next Tuesday with the guys from Fertility in Colour. Yes, and some more Americans. Some more Americans. We can't help ourselves, can we? No, we can't. This whole transatlantic thing is becoming very exciting. Transatlantic motherfuckers, that's us. (laughs) (laughs) See you next week, team. See you guys. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.